Good morning. Uh, for those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is Sean Schwenson. I lead worship here uh, along with some others on a rotation. And um, this morning I'd like to talk about worship. Um, worship is a common word within Christianity and the church. Um, we see it everywhere. We see it on church billboards. Uh, there's books about it. There's how-to videos about it. Um, there's three-day conferences about it. Um, and I'll be honest, this is overwhelming to me sometimes. Um, it helps me to think about, uh, to get back to the basics once in a while. And that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. It's what I'd like to do, is to get back to the basics of worship. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the worship leaders at Lion and Lamb assembled a, a worship statement. Uh, we tried to put into words um, what we think uh, worship is about, what we value about worship. Uh, try to explain some of the things that we do here at Lion and Lamb um, in our service, in our church service. Uh, it will soon be posted on the church website. Um, and I'm not going to go through it completely this morning, but I am going to touch on the first two points of it. Uh, it's a five-point statement. It's in a question and answer format. Um, I'm going to read the, uh, uh, the five main points, and then we'll go back to the, the first two for, the, for our message this morning. The first point is, what do we understand worship to be? What is worship? The second point is, or question... What are we trying to do in worship? What is our worship about? What is it about? Point number three, what do we assume about worshipers and worship leaders at Lion and Lamb Church? Point four, what may we expect to find in worship at Lion and Lamb Church? And finally, who plans our worship and where may we go with ideas and suggestions? So again, in, in a couple, uh, in a week or so, if, you, if you're interested, you can check that out on the website. Uh, for now, we're going to dwell on the first two points. Um, what do we understand worship to be? And, and what, is the, what is the nature of our worship? I looked up the word uh, worship in the dictionary. And um, it said, worship is the reverent love and devotion accorded to, to God. It actually said to a deity, and I, I changed it because I wanted to say to God. Obviously not uh, no Webster's Dictionary there. <clears throat> what do we understand worship to be? What is worship? Uh, the, the answer to that question is worship is a response. Worship is a response. To illustrate that, I want uh, to use three examples from the Old Testament, and we're going to visit each one in turn. Um, before we go to the, the next point about what our, what our worship looks like. So uh, let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to Job to begin with. Job chapter 1. Job is a great, bo- is a great book. It uh, has much to teach us about the integrity of a faith-filled man. And if you recall in the first chapter, uh, God allows Satan to take away most of Job's riches, all of his children. Uh, in order to test, in order to make a point and to test Job's faith. What was Job's response? In chapter 1, uh, starting in, in verse 20, after all that had taken place, uh, Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. 
The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. To me, that's a really impressive, uh, amazing response for that kind of thing to happen to somebody um, and for and for Job to not sin, for him to not blame, whine, or complain. That's an awesome testimony to us. Uh, instead, Job worshipped the Lord. Uh, I wish that my response would be like that if, if that happened to me. Um, but the thing that with Job is that he knew, he knew the truth about God. He knew that in his response, in verse 20, he said, The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. He understood that everything that, that he had was from the Lord to begin with. Um, he understand that anything that, that God does in this life um, doesn't change the fact that God is our creator. He can't do anything that can undo that. And he deserves, he deserves the, uh, the credit for being the creator. He deserves the, the thanks for what he gave in the first place. And so Job did the proper thing. He responded to the truth that he knew about God. And he and he did he did right. Job's a great example for us because, uh, in a way, worship is um, it's not dependent upon our circumstances. It's it's responding to the truth that we know about God. It's responding to God's truth. That's the that's the main point. If you don't leave here today, that is the point. The point is that worship is a is a respo- our response to 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 God's truth. That's it. And we're going to look at a couple more examples that hammer that home. Let's look at another one from the Old Testament. This is, uh, turn to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to talk about an example of King Jehoshaphat. Okay, remember uh, after uh, David and Solomon, the, the kingdom of Israel was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Um, the northern kingdom of Israel had all bad, evil kings. And the southern kingdom had some, some good kings and some bad kings. And King Jehoshaphat was one of the good ones. Uh, he wasn't perfect. Uh, he made some bad deals. But he, um, he did encourage worship uh, and following God's um, uh, laws in, in Judah. He, um, he tried to get rid of idol worship. So he was one of the good guys. And Judah was threatened by some neighbors with invasion. And in chapter 20, uh, King Jehoshaphat prayed to the Lord for deliverance. So let's pick up in, uh, at verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand, withstand you? Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple." And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear 
and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. This is a wonderful prayer. I mean, if you're going to ask for help, this is the way to ask for help. And, and uh, this, even this prayer, if I was going to, st- we're going to go on, but if I was to stop there about King Jehoshaphat, that in itself is worship. Uh, King Jehoshaphat knows that, that their only salvation is in God. Um, the way he asks, it's like Moses pleading with God and trying to remind God, so to speak, um, about uh, Israel when they remember when they sinned with the golden calf and God was ready to wipe them out and, and Moses interceded for them. I mean, does God really does God have a bad memory? He does not have a bad memory. We're the ones that have bad memories. This kind of this kind of um, questioning and reminding of God is not for God's sake; it's for our sake. We're the ones that forget. We're the ones that need to be reminded. Uh, we sing a song kind of like this. Um, remember the song, Your Grace is Enough? Uh, there's a bridge. Uh, remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promises, O God. That's the same kind of thing. That, rem- that reminding is for, is for us. It's not, we're not reminding the Lord of anything. He knows all about it. Um, but this is a way of affirming God's truth. And, and, and when we do that, we are worshiping the Lord. We are responding to God's truth. But there's more here. After he, after he asked that, then um, a man named Jehaziel, uh, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon him. And I'm not going to read it all, but basically he said, you're going to be delivered. You don't even need to fight these guys. You just go out and watch me take care of business. So that's what happens. Um, you go out tomorrow, the Lord is with you. In verse 18, Jehoshaphat, after he heard this, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord of God of Israel with voices loud and high. Again, they worshiped the Lord when they heard his answer. They believed. They believed his prophetic word. So the next morning, they go out and they, are, they, uh, they take action upon the word they've heard. They go out to the, to the wilderness where the battle is going to take place. Jehosh- Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And they basically proceeded to destroy themselves right out there with, with, with Judah watching them. They didn't have to do anything. And not only that, after they were all destroyed... There was enough treasure amongst the fallen army for them to haul back to Jerusalem. It took them three days. So, so God didn't just save them. God also blessed them materially. 
What did they do on the fourth day after they'd hauled away all the treasure? Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. I love this chapter because all the way through it, they are worshiping the Lord. In, in, uh, in Jehoshaphat's request, he's worshiping the Lord. He's responding to what he knows to be true. When, when God answers, he believes the answer, the prophetic answer. He worships the Lord with that, for that answer. And then when they take action upon what they've heard and what they know, know to be true, and it happens right in front of them, they worship the Lord again. They respond to um, God's action, his, the truth, the reality that they see in front of them. They respond appropriately. I love that. That's something that we, uh, that we need to do. It's another example of responding to the truth that we know about God, responding to Him. All right, let's go to the, the third Old Testament passage about worship. It's Psalm 100. Uh, it's a short psalm. Maybe some of you guys might even have it memorized. Uh, five verses. In verse 1, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made, has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. I want to focus here on verses 3 and 4. Verse here's this is kind of a nice little blueprint for worship because it shows uh, in verse three, uh, know that the Lord He is God. Okay, He made us; we didn't make ourselves. Okay, so we're declaring truth about the Lord. And not only did He make us, He loves us. We're we're the we're the sheep of His pasture. We're His loved, prized possession. Knowing that, then we go to verse four. What do, how do we respond to that truth of verse 3? We enter His gates with thanksgiving. We, we thank Him. We bless Him. That's the way that we should always be with worship. And, um, and just going back to Job, just like with Job, this is a much more uplifting passage than Job in, in a way, but the fact is, is that nothing can undo the fact that God made us and that God loves us. So there's no circumstances that should dissuade us from praising Him, from responding to Him as worship. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm glad that I was created. I'm glad that uh, even though life can be hard and that this world is not perfect because it's been tainted with sin, I love the idea that I'm here and that I have a family. And so if any of you are in the same boat, you have, uh, you have the uh, opportunity you have the justification to praise the Lord. And so I want to encourage you um, to praise the Lord, to worship Him, to respond to Him by the truth that you know about Him. You know, if that doesn't happen, this process of knowing and then responding, if that doesn't happen, then we're, we're swimming at a shallow level. We're, we're, just, we're just singing, so to speak. Um, I'd like to move to the next point 
of my message. Um, the next point in the in the worship statement, um, after what is worship, um, this point is, what's the nature of our worship? What are we trying to do in worship? And the answer to that question is, we want to worship in spirit and in truth. We take that from John chapter 4, verse 23. And if you want to turn to John chapter 4, we'll, we'll be there in a bit. We put that verse on the top of our line of Lamb worship statement. And remember, this is the... This is the account of the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus is talking with her. And first the talk is, is about the water in the well. And pretty soon it's about Jesus has living water. And uh, she'd like some of that. And, oh, maybe her, and Jesus suggests maybe her husband would like some of that living water too. Well, she doesn't have a, a husband. She answers truthfully about that. But she does kind of change the subject to, uh, of all things, worship. And... Uh, She's, uh, she changes the subject to where, where's the proper place to worship, in, in Samaria or in Jerusalem. And kind of quit talking about her husband or husbands. Uh, in verse 21, Jesus, we'll pick it up in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'd love to be there and see the, the look on her face or, you know, just the dynamics of that conversation. Would that be amazing? <clears throat> the key phrase uh, here is worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I think it's not an accident that the way this um, happened was that, uh, that this came up while Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. Um, think about somebody who would be one of the most uh, inaccessible persons to properly worship in that day. Um, can you imagine her going to, well, she, she, she wouldn't have the standing in, in Jerusalem uh, amongst the, the, the religious leaders of the day to worship. I mean, Jesus alludes to the fact that, 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 uh, that they worship... Um, that salvation is of the Jews, meaning that in that day it was it was centered around the temple in Jerusalem, and it was um, you know not for Samaritans, so to speak. You know they weren't exact; they were a they were a hated race and a hated nation of of Israel. So Jesus is saying to her, "No, we're going to worship in uh, the Father is seeking worshipers." And, he, and he's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this is a door open wide open to this Samaritan woman. Um, I tried to think of uh, what is the opposite of spirit and truth. Um, a phrase I came up with was religiosity and lies. You know, so the flip, the opposite of spirit and truth. What is that? Um, Jesus is saying, I think, that, that worship is not limited anymore 
to geography, in other words, Jerusalem, or to religious rules, which are uh, personified, I guess, by, by the Pharisees, one of, uh, one of the people that, or one of the groups that Jesus criticized the most. In other words, this transcends that. This is, an, this is new. This kind of worship is pure. It's not, uh, it's not rigid rules. It's not limited to a, a place, a certain place. It's from the heart. It's a response to God's truth, just like the examples we've already seen. I think it's neat that um, in verse 25, she, she admits, I think it's kind of neat that she knows about the Messiah, that the Messiah is coming. You know, there's, I don't know, I, I'm not an expert, but I kind of always assumed that the Samaritan's faith was kind of a notch below in Old Covenant terms than even the, those of the teachers in Jerusalem. But she even knew about a Messiah who was coming. And uh, I think it's neat that, that, uh, that the Father is looking for worshipers. You know, she's kind of, she's kind of right in there. She's, God was looking for worshipers, and she's looking for the Messiah and... And then Jesus is it right there. What does this mean for us? Um, you know, in, in Bible study on Wednesday nights, men's Bible study, we've uh, people have mentioned just in various conversations about about people who have who hang out within Christian circles or around church, and they're sort of riding on the coattails of of a Christian emotional high. But they don't really ever get it. They don't really ever get a saving knowledge of, of Christ. They're just sort of on the fringe. For some reason, that I remember that. Um, and I think that worship can kind of be derailed like that. I think for us here, I think sometimes we can kind of go shallow and think about, um, man, what, what a great song that was, or what an awesome guitar player he is, or what a great singer she is, or... Boy, they really screwed that song up big time. Or, uh, or even worse, you can sit there thinking, man, I can't believe my boss did that to me on Thursday. You know, you can always be somewhere other than where you should be when you should be thinking about uh, God's truth and our response to it. And I think that's, uh, it's, an easy, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to, to live superficially. Um, so even though we might be singing and clapping, we cannot be there with our heart and with our mind. And so I think that's something that, that we need to be reminded of. And, and I'm not wagging my finger because I've been there up here before, um, thinking about a difficult chord to, to finger while I sing or, or thinking about the technical issues that have plagued us during practice before. That's, those are easy pitfalls to, to fall into. So I want to encourage all of us to, to not go there, to to keep the, the main thing the main thing, and that's to remember God's truth. You know, one last thing about the importance of truth before I move on, uh, and I don't know, this is just another thing that I thought about. It may be nothing, but why is it such a great sin to worship stone and wood idols? And, you know, mostly they, that happened in the Old Testament. Or, or why, why, why would it have been such a victory for evil if Satan had been able to get Jesus to worship him. Remember when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness? Why would that have been so awful? Well, it's because um, worshiping the created instead of the creator, that's the, that's the most basic 
lie that there is. It's the most, uh, it's the most uh, simple sin that there is. It's the worst. Why would God care? Well, it's because he alone gets the credit for what he's done. I mean, nobody likes a plagiarizer. Nobody likes a thief. But that's kind of what we're doing if we aren't, if we aren't worshiping the Lord the way we, I don't want to say the way we ought to, but if we don't respond to, the, to his goodness um, as we ought, then we're kind of robbing him of credit in a way, in our acknowledgement of him. And that kind of sounds negative. I don't really mean it to. I just mean that it's very basic. We, we, ought, to give, um, we ought to give God the glory for what we know. I've got uh, three applications. Um, what does all this mean? We, let's say we know, let's say we, uh, we've covered uh, responding to the truth that we know, and we've talked about worshiping in a non-superficial way, in spirit and truth. Um, how do we do that? Or what, what are some simple applications? Uh, well, number one is obviously to, to know the truth about God. And, and that sounds simple, but I think oftentimes we don't live there. Um, it's better if we do. And the way we can know God is by uh, reading His Word. It's by talking plainly to Him, by making requests to Him. Um, by living with him, you know, in a constant in a constant way, not just once in a while, reading his word, meditating upon it, um, speaking conversationally with him, you know, not a not proper prayers, but but uh, real prayers. You know, that's a way you can get to know the Lord. And if you know him, once you know him, then then um, and you can know his truth, and you can respond, and that's worship. Uh, a second thing is uh, something that we do organizationally at, at, at this church. Um, the reason I'm given the message now and not later is because we hope that that you will hear some truth when you um, when you hear the message from this pulpit, and that that truth about the Lord will then uh, inspire you or motivate you or in some way cause you to be able to worship when we sing later or when we, when we do other things later. Um, that's something that we've done intentionally, and it's to try to help us um, to worship because we know, again, that worship is a response. It's a response to God's truth, to his goodness to us. Uh, and the last, the last uh, application is to keep accounts uh, short with God. And what I mean by that is... Um, if we sin, there's barriers between us and God, and we need to get rid of those. Um, one of the few verses I've managed to keep memorized is 1 John 1, 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, that is something that we have to do on a daily basis. Um, as I've heard the Halpins say before, you know, in a parenting context, you know, if if there's, if there's sin or conflict between a parent and a kid, there's not that happy fellowship. And we need happy fellowship between the Lord and us. And sin gets in the way with that. So we need to confess our sins before we can worship the Lord. If we try to worship the Lord when we have sin issues, we're just faking it. And that's no good. Nobody wants that. It's worse than doing nothing. Um, one of the things that, that um, we provide for, uh, Steve had just done it here earlier today, is... We have a time of silence in the beginning of our service. 
And I encourage you to take advantage of that. If you have distractions, if you have uh, a sin issue, take care of it. Because otherwise, you won't be able to worship God like you, like you would otherwise want to. It reminded me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He said, if, uh, he's an example, if you, are presented, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. You know, today we don't have an altar, but we offer a sacrifice of praise. And we can't do that right before we get right with our brother. So let's, let's clean up our consciences, our consciences and, and our sin before we worship in spirit and truth. And finally, I'd like to thank, uh, this is not a point of application, but uh, being a member of, of the worship teams at, at Lion and Lamb, I want to thank everybody who, uh, who serves here. Uh, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes thing with setup. Uh, we have uh, lots of great musicians. Um, I always enjoy Kevin's call to worship. Um, and we have volunteer open worship leaders every Sunday. That really is a blessing to me. And um, I know the Lord values it, and, and I know that we do too. So I just want to thank everybody for taking that time and effort to do that. Uh, I want to end this message on an encouraging note. Um, we are blessed to know the Lord. We've been given an opportunity to be adopted as sons and as daughters uh, by the creator of the universe. Uh, there's no limit on his power. There's no limit on his love. We have everything to praise him for. And we just need to remember. We need to remember the truth about the Lord. Um, let's respond to him today. Let's worship him today. Father, thank you for the examples of men and women in the past who knew you and worshiped you. May we follow their lead and respond to you the almighty creator of the universe, by declaring the truth about you and giving you the credit you so righteously deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.